Amen. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them leading us in worship this morning. Always blessed to have them. Well, you got your Bible with you, say amen. All right, you got, y'all got your Bible with you, say amen. All right, there you go. Galatians chapter 4 is where we find ourselves this morning. Galatians 5, chapter 4, we're in a series of messages entitled Maximizing Moments. We're actually going on a gospel tour, right? God has called you and I to be a part of this great mission of making disciples everywhere. And if we're going to do that effectively, that means we have to learn to live as missionaries, as sent individuals. As individuals who think like missionaries and also those who live like missionaries. Came across a great quote this past week. Thomas Hale says this, and I, I just read this to you. He says, no one can say, since I'm not called to be a missionary, I don't have to evangelize my friends and neighbors. He says, there's no difference in spiritual terms between a missionary witnessing in his hometown and a missionary witnessing in Nepal. All of us are called to go, even if we're called to go to the next block. You know, that's really our mission. It is to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to those in our neighborhood, to those who do not know Jesus Christ. So we want to be faithful to that mission. So we go on this gospel tour. We're doing it on purpose, hopping on the bus together so that you and I can kind of learn more about the doctrine of salvation. So if you can kind of picture it in your mind, the city of salvation has four major streets. Last week, we jumped on Justification Junction. And it's on that street that you and I learned that God, by his grace, through his son's death, burial, and resurrection, actually chose to save us and to justify us. That means to clear us of our guilt and to consider us righteous. Now, just so everybody's on the same page, none of us earned that. That is a free grace gift. And justification shouts to the fact that you and I now have been forgiven by God. But the second street that we jump on, where we're kind of headed this morning, is Adoption Avenue. Adoption Avenue. And adoption shouts to the fact that you are a part of God's family. And that's what we're going to see together this morning in our text. So, in your Bible, Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4. If you've got that, you can stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning. Now, the Bible says, uh, verse 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your divine word. And Lord, we want to have hearts to really listen and to obey. And so, God, we thank you for this great principle of adoption. And we look forward to seeing how you're going to work that into our lives and how that actually becomes a motivating factor for us to maximize moments in sharing Jesus with others. So we look forward to what you're going to do today as well as throughout the rest of this week as we live as missionaries. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. Now, adoption is a pretty uh, familiar term in our modern-day vernacular. In fact, we talk about it all the time. We've got friends who've adopted children into their, their family. Now, Chris and I, we have four kids, so we're not really looking to adopt. Y'all with me on that? Say amen. And uh, we're, we're satisfied. We got plenty. So even if you're trying to give one up, we're not talking to you. But anyway, so adoption happens, right? But adoption in the United States, what does it look like? Well, I found a great little statement from an adoption agency about adoption. And here's kind of how they described it. They said, whenever a child is adopted, that child moves permanently from one family to another family. And in the process, all parental rights are legally transferred to the new parents. 
This means adoptive parents have the same rights and responsibilities as parents whose children were born to them. And it also means adopted children have all the emotional, social, legal, and familial benefits of biological children. Now, think about that. That's what it means to be adopted in the United States. But the question that we're looking at this morning is, what does it mean to be adopted into the kingdom of God? Now, so everybody's on the same page. Again, there's only two spiritual kingdoms. There's a kingdom of Satan. There's a kingdom of God. As you read throughout the New Testament, you discover there's a kingdom of death, there's a kingdom of life. There's a kingdom of darkness, there's a kingdom of light. And in order to be a part of God's kingdom, the Bible says you've got to be adopted into his family. So what does adoption look like for those in the kingdom of God? Well, adoption means that we are embraced as a true child of God the Father. In fact, it is a gracious and merciful right bestowed upon unworthy sinners through which we are given admission into this awesome family of the Lord. So I've said it a million times before, but just to reiterate it, you know, all of us are God's creation, but not all of us are God's children. The only people who are God's children are those who have been adopted by God. And that happens at the moment of your conversion. So that's what it looks like. Now, the amazing thing is that when Paul mentions the word adoption in Galatians 4, this also is not a brand new concept. Adoption was a very familiar thing in the Greco-Roman world. In fact, parents in that particular day, if they did not have a man-child, also known as a son, y'all with me on that? I don't know why I said man-child. I guess because we've got one now. He just turned 13 this week. So Garrison is a man-child, and uh, y'all pray for us. We've got a teenager. So wherever I am on your list, move me up. Amen? All right, so that's the deal. But anyway, so if they didn't have a son, then they were in a predicament. And the predicament was that their family name would not pass on to the next generation. And their family inheritance would go to someone else. So oftentimes what would happen is if they did not have a son, is that they would actually go out and they would look for one. But here's how they did it. They would go out and look for a son to adopt who had already proven himself who had shown himself to be a person of high moral character. And then they would invite that son to be a part of their family. They would legally adopt him. That way, whenever they died, their name was carried on and their inheritance stayed in their family. Now, the amazing thing is that whenever God adopted you and I, he didn't come and try to find people of good moral character. You know why? Because he couldn't find it. He would still be looking. The Bible teaches we've all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. But God chose in his grace to still come and adopt us even though we were in our sins. He would bring us into the family of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So God really is in the adoption business. But how does it all play out? A couple of things I want you to jot down this morning. Jot this one down first of all. I want you to know that God has this huge heart to adopt. God's got a heart to adopt. In fact, let me say it to you like this. God wants to adopt people in your neighborhood that you live with. God wants to adopt people that you work with. God wants to adopt people that you play softball with, right? God has this great heart to bring people into his family. He wants to adopt individuals. And that's what Paul kind of puts to the surface here in our text this morning, Galatians chapter 4. So look with me again at verse 4 in your Bible. You got it there in front of you? Say yes. All right, verse 4. When the fullness of the time came... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, take a look at this verse. Let's kind of break both of them down, all right? So the first phrase is this, when the fullness of time came. Now, what is Paul speaking about? Paul is magnifying the reality that the idea of God adopting people into his family was not a decision of spontaneity. This wasn't something, you know, God's hanging out in heaven. He didn't bump his head somewhere and just all of a sudden say, I think I'm going to adopt some people into my family. That's not how God works. God, before creation, before he ever threw down creation, had a plan for adoption. And he predetermined the time frame in which adoption and its work would actually take place upon the earth. And that's why the Bible says, when the fullness of time came, that is, at God's predetermined plan, what does the text say? He sent forth his son. Now, you and I know the Son of God to be the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is eternal as God the Father is. Matter of fact, whenever you think about God, you've got to think about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, God the Father and the Son of the Spirit, they are eternal and they are one. But God, in his predetermined plan, chose to send Jesus, the eternal one, to the earth. And whenever he came to the earth, he was losing, or rather leaving and losing, the glories and the beauties of heaven to come to the ashes of a sinful planet. So he came. Notice how he came. The Bible says he was born of a woman, which, by the way, I think that's a pretty awesome way to be born. Y'all let it sink in, right? Born of a woman. I just love the verse, right? He's born of a woman. Now, the question is, why does Paul say he's born? Of course he's born of a woman. How else would he be born? Well, Paul's actually uh, pointing us to a truth that God gave us in Genesis chapter 3 in this verse. In Genesis chapter 3, God gave a promise to the enemy who is the devil that through the seed of a woman, someone would come who would crush his head. Now, whenever God speaks about a person being born from the seed of woman, biology teaches us that's not how it rolls out. Uh, people are born from the seed of man. So to speak of being born of the seed of a woman actually points to the virgin birth. And whenever Paul is saying he is born of a woman, that's really what he's pointing at. He's pointing out the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the eternal Jesus was not created. He's always existed, but he came to earth born of a woman in the flesh, and he was born of a woman to ensure that he was not born with a sin nature. Because the Bible teaches us that through the seed of man, the sin nature is passed down. So to ensure the purity of Jesus at his birth, he was born of a virgin. So he's born of a woman. Now the verse also goes on and tells you now that he was born under the law. Under the law. Now, what's Paul getting at here? A couple of things. First of all, he's pointing to the fact that Jesus was a Jewish individual. So it points to his race. Jesus was a Jew. He was born under the law, meaning he was born to live under the standards of God's divine law. Now, here's the awesome thing about Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life. So whenever he was born under the law, he obeyed the law, and he lived a righteous and perfect life. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he was without sin. Now what's also awesome about this is that Jesus fulfilled the law, and Jesus ultimately even paid the price of those who have broken the law. 
which really does, it kind of leads us now to verse 5. Now, think about it all in its context, all right? So, when the fullness of time came, God the Father sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why did he send his Son? Now, verse 5 says, so that, it's a purposeful clause, so that he could redeem those who were under the law. Well, quick question, who are those under the law? Well, that's everybody else. All of us, the Bible says, are born with a sin nature, but we are also born under the law. And so the law of God is the perfect standard of the Lord. And the scripture teaches you and I that we've all broken God's perfect standard. So we are all sinners before a holy God. But God sent forth his son so that he could redeem us from the law. And the word redeem, by the way, it's a word that means uh, basically be set free by paying a price. Set free by paying a price. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to the earth and he lived a sinless life. But then Jesus went to the cross to die in the place of all sinners. Matter of fact, this is the gospel in two words. I'm going to give it to you. Here it is. Substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. That's a theological term, right? But substitutionary just means substitute. So Jesus died in our place. Uh, what, what for? For atonement. Atonement for our sins. Jesus died to pay for the penalty of our sins. He was buried and he was raised again. And whenever you place your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that you are at that moment justified, cleared of all your guilt, considered righteous, and you are redeemed. You are brought out from under the law and now you live under grace. So that's where you and I live who have been justified. But he not only came so that our redemption could occur, but this text also says that he came so that our adoption could occur. So again, look at verse 5 in your scripture. He says, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now this is awesome. You and I did not earn God's justification. In other words, we didn't work real hard and God was impressed and he's like, I'm going to clear you of your guilt and consider you righteous. That's not the case. We receive the gift of justification by faith in Christ. But adoption is also something that we receive by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we have to be justified so that we can be adopted. See, God's family is perfect. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perfect unity. And this community is what God has invited us to be a part of. But you and I could not be a part of his family because of our sin. His family's perfect, ours is sinful, and if we joined, we would mess it up. So God, through Jesus, has to justify us. So he clears our guilt, he considers us righteous, and then he brings us into his family by adoption. And adoption, by the way, is something that happens by his grace. So it's not like you're justified, now work really hard to be adopted. No, you're adopted by the grace of the Lord at the moment of your conversion. See, God's got this great heart to adopt. He wants to adopt people. And God's given you and I the great privilege of going out and sharing with folks that, hey, God wants to adopt you. And you're like, me? Yes, you, even you. This is God's desire. Now, here's the second reality, all right? Through adoption, uh, God becomes your father. Through adoption, God becomes your father. Now, this is kind of where it gets uh, pretty serious for us. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son 
into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. Now notice here in the text that the Bible teaches us that the entire Trinity is involved in our adoption. Now, this is awesome. God the Father had a plan to adopt you, and so God the Father sent His Son to execute the plan through His death, burial, and resurrection. And then God the Father sent His Spirit to take up residence in our life to apply the adoption. Because as soon as you come to faith in Jesus, you're justified, you're adopted, and you receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who encourages you to cry out to God as Abba, Father. Now, by the way, the word Abba is an Aramaic term. It's a term of endearment, a term of tenderness. In fact, it can kind of be likened to our modern-day daddy or papa. That, that's the idea of Abba. Matter of fact, we were sitting around uh, with our family this past week, and for some reason we started talking about what our kid's very first word was. And uh, in the conversation, Chris was like, I know what their word was, their very first word. And they were like, what was it, what was it? And then she said, all smug. She's right there. Uh, daddy was your first word. Dad, 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 dad. All right, so obviously we're all wondering, like, why did they all say dad, dad first? I mean, what's the deal? And then the bottom line fact is because they love me more than they love her, and that's why they did this. That's obviously not true, but the reality is this is a term of endearment. And this is what God wants you to know him as. He wants you to know him as your heavenly daddy. Now, let that sink in for just a moment, all right? Because reality is God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Uh, God is bigger than your mind can even fathom. Uh, God is the one who, by the word of his mouth, spoke creation into existence. He just spoke and it happened. God, by the word of his mouth right now, as we're together in this building, he is sustaining the entire universe. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. He is an all-consuming fire. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God is like, when you address me, you just call me daddy. What an awesome truth that is from the Lord. That's how God wants you to view him. But here's something that I realized as I was studying not everybody views God like this. And you know why they don't? Because they got daddy issues. Y'all out there, yeah? Matter of fact, let me just ask you. Anybody got daddy issues? Y'all just slip your hand up right here. If you're sitting next to your daddy, you just give him a fist bump and tell him you love him, all right? I saw it. Here's what I've realized. Sometimes what happens in the lives of followers of Jesus is that they take the imperfections of their earthly father and they cast them upon their heavenly father. And whenever they do this, it gives them a skewed view of who God the father, their dad, really is. Matter of fact, I just jotted down a few ways that this could occur. Uh, think about it. For some of you, your earthly father was a performance-oriented father. So it drove your father to be overly critical of you. Overly critical of every single thing that you did. And when you did whatever he desired, that's when he expressed love to you. Therefore, you may feel like you have to earn the love of God. So for some of you this morning, that's how you view God because that's how your earthly father was. So now you're projecting upon God, your heavenly daddy, as this overcritical, you have to earn his love kind of God. It's a wrong view. For some, your earthly father was very much a passive kind of father. 
So he didn't demonstrate love to you, right? He uh, may have been a good provider, but he just wasn't very involved in your life. And then as a result, you, you may think of God the Father this way, uh, that he's kind of present, but he's just really not that involved with you. So you see him as a passive God. And for some, your father uh, may have been an absentee father. This could have occurred because he passed away when you were young or maybe a teenager, so he's absent. This could have occurred through a divorce in your family. So maybe uh, growing up, there was a divorce in your family. So like you spent, you know, maybe weekends with your dad or whatever the case may be, but you feel like there's absentee father there. And then for some of you, uh, you were just flat out abandoned by your dad. So you grew up, your dad just split all of a sudden. He left you, he left your mama, and he was just out. And sometimes what happens with children growing up is they internalize that, and they begin to think that they did something that caused their dad to take off. And then what happens? They begin to look at God the Father that way if they're not careful. And they think, oh my goodness, I don't want to mess up because if I mess up, my heavenly Father will just split and take off on me. And then for some, your earthly father was an authoritarian. He was more interested in you following the rules than he was with loving you. So you had no emotional attachment with your dad. And then as a result, you think that's how God is. So you think of him as an authoritarian, and there's no genuine emotional attachment between you and your heavenly dad. And then for some, and I prayed for you this week because I knew I was going to bring this up, but for some of you, your father was very abusive when you grew up. For some of you, you've experienced that verbally or physically or emotionally, maybe even sexually. So this abuse has come to you, and whenever you think of and even hear, hey, we need to call God our heavenly dad, you're like, I don't want to do that. I can't stand my dad. Here's what he did to me. And then as a result, you don't see heavenly dad as a term of tenderness and endearment. You see it as a term of bitterness and resentment. Listen, that's a false view of God as well. So here's here's what God wants you to know about him this morning. He wants you to know that his love for you is unconditional. He wants you to know this morning that there is nothing that you can do to get more of his love. There's nothing that you can do to get less of his love. You don't earn his love. It is freely given. And it is always given. It is unstoppable love. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that God the Father, and I hope you get this because this is awesome. God the Father actually loves you as much as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, check this out. He loves you just like he loves Jesus. And you're thinking, he can't love me. like How can he love me the same way that he loves Jesus? Here's how. Because he has cleared you of your guilt and considered you righteous. He took the righteous, royal purity of his own son, and he applied it to your spiritual bank account. And he now overwhelmingly, unconditionally loves you, not because of you, but because of Christ. Here's something else. His role role as dad in your life is not a passive one. So he's not present for a while and then rolling out. He's present, desires a close connection with your heart. Here's what's true about God as well. He promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. He's not some Hitler in the sky ready to leave you whenever you mess up. He loves you with this everlasting, unending, perfect love. He also is a father who never abuses his children. 
God has this great desire and heart for you. He adopted you for crying out loud. He now has this great plan for your life. He brought you into the family, not to abuse you, but to care for you, to love you, and to set you on a direction that is fulfilling. That's God's heart for your life. It's God's desire for your life. Now, as I kind of think through some of this, you know what's amazing to me? I begin to think, because we're in maximizing moments, could it be... Now check this out, all right? Everybody with me say yes? Because I want you to follow the train here for a second. Could it be the reason some people don't invite people to know God is because they have a bad, faulty view of God? Think about it. If you have a relationship with the Lord and you see him as demanding, demeaning, and degrading, I mean, who wants to introduce somebody to him? Come over here and meet God. He's so demanding. See, I think that the enemy will try to skew your view of who God really is to keep you from sharing his love with others. So as long as you're viewing God improperly, you're not going to be motivated to invite people to know the Lord. And there's a couple of things that happen whenever we consider this. And before I even share those with you, let me give you this uh, statement by J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer once wrote this. I think we have it for you on the screens, but let me give it to you. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. And then he goes on and writes, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name for God. Did you hear this? Father is the Christian name for God. So God's got this heart to adopt, and through adoption, God becomes your heavenly dad. And there's a couple of things that happen whenever this occurs in your life. And you'll just want to jot these down too. Whenever you see God as your father, it encourages your prayer life. It does. It encourages your prayer life. Think about it. Whenever you see God as your heavenly father, your dad who is just loving you unconditionally, you realize that you're not a visitor in his presence. You're not a bother to him. You're a beloved son or daughter. I can't tell you how many people come up to me right here at Concord and say, Levi, man, I want to pray, but I just feel like I'm bothering God. You don't have that capacity. You can't bother God. God loves you. He's like, I don't want to share this with the Lord because it's probably not that big of a deal to him. Is it a big deal to you? It's a big deal to God. You carry that to the Lord. He's not looking at your stuff saying, and by the way, nothing's a big deal to God. So if we took that frame of thinking, we would never bring anything to it. I think this is why Jesus taught you and I how to pray. And he taught the disciples. He says, whenever you pray, think about it, right? He says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Now, why is he mentioning Father? Because again, whenever we see God as our Father, it should motivate our prayer life. It leads us to have confidence when He comes into His presence. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 4:12, let us then approach God's throne with grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, here's another thing. Whenever you see God as Father, it erases your worry. I've yet to see my children anxious at night, chewing their nails, wondering whether or not they're going to be taken care of the next day. Why do they not live filled with anxiety and fear? It's because they have parents that care for them, especially their daddy. Right? 
That's why. So, so that's what's happening. Perfect love casts out fear. And whenever I see God as my heavenly dad, what does it do? It helps me to have all of my worry and anxiety erased from my life. Why would you, as a child of God, walk around biting your nails and be filled with anxiety and worry? Why would you live that way? You don't have to. God cares for you. Matter of fact, listen to what Jesus says, because I love this. Jesus says it like this. For this reason I say to you, don't worry about your life as to what you are going to eat or what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body as to what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap nor gather and then listen to what he says. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? See, what is God getting at? What is Jesus teaching here? He's saying, when you see your Father in heaven as your dad, that's when your worries can be erased. So here's what's true in my life. Whenever I'm filled with anxiety, whenever I'm filled with worry, I'm not viewing God properly. It's not his issue, it's mine. But whenever I view God properly, it begins to erase the worry. For some of you, that was worth the price for you to get in here, which was free. But you needed to hear that because that's how you've been living. A worried, anxious, filled life. You're walking around biting your nails about every single thing that's going on. And God's like, I'm your daddy. Come here and sit down. Why are you so concerned about these? Don't you know I love you? Listen, when we get a view of God that is biblical, it leads us with this great desire to share Jesus with others because we want other people to know God. Matter of fact, the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them, that's us, he gave the right to become children of God. See, that's Adoption Avenue. That's Justification Junction. This is you and I taking this message of great news and sharing it with those that God has put around us. Now, that's why we also have this great gospel uh, skill that we're trying to teach you, to help you out in sharing Jesus, all right? So whenever you came in, you should have got two of these little cards. Did everybody get one say yes? All right. So we'll pretend you just said yes. So if you'll just drop these cards out for just a second and put them in your lap, I want you to fill one of them out as we go through it. I'm challenging you to take the other one and use it this week to share the gospel. Notice here, first of all, whenever I'm sharing the gospel, what I want to do is I want to point at God on this card. And then I want to point at the little stick figure. Here's the thing. God created you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to be adopted into his family. But there's this great space between you and God. And that space is there because of what this verse says. Now, all you got to do is walk through this verse. One verse used in this particular gospel presentation, which makes it simple. The Bible says, for the wages of sin. All right, wages, by the way, something you earn. So you work real hard and you earn something. And the Bible says the wages of sin. So that's your work. The wages of sin is death. And death describes eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. And that's where some of you are headed this morning because you've not genuinely come to faith in Jesus. So you're kind of churchgoer. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've even read your Bible some, but you don't really know God. You've not had the Spirit of God call out within you, Abba, Father. Which, by the way, that is a massive signal that you've genuinely come to faith in Christ. So the Bible says, for the wages of our sin is death. 
But then you keep on reading. But the gift of God is eternal life. So all I'm doing is filling in these little squares. What is a gift? It's something that you do not earn. It's something that is freely given to you. Who's given that gift away? Well, God is. What is the gift? It is eternal life. How do I receive the gift? Well, the Bible says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now all I'm doing is drawing a cross right here, and then I'm jotting Jesus' name down. Jesus becomes now the bridge that gives me a relationship with God. So through this, what I do is challenge somebody. What would keep you from giving your life to God right now? And they're like, nothing. Well, listen, here's what you need to do. The Bible says you turn from your sin, you place your trust in Jesus, and then you are forgiven of your sin. So I always say the two T's, and I'm going to repeat this every single time I preach this message uh, series throughout this month. We turn from our sin, we put our trust in Jesus, and we are adopted into the family of God. And this adoption means that we receive eternal life. People you live with are on the way to hell, and you know this. People in your neighborhood are on the way to hell, and you know this. People you work with are on the way to hell, and you know this. Uh, people all around you on their way to hell, and you know this. Why would you keep this a secret? Man, this makes no sense to me. This is what we're called to do. You go and make disciples. You can't make a disciple unless you lead them to faith in Jesus. And this is so easy. Easy piece. Take it, go for it, share the gospel with sweet. Go find a sinner and tell him how he can be adopted. Amen on that one? Let's do that. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for our time together this morning. Pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. God, we've been adopted. We're children. What an awesome privilege that is. We don't want to miss it. So, God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts even now. There are probably some in here who have not genuinely given their heart to you. And so today's the day that they need to make a decision to follow you. So, God, I pray you'd speak to their hearts. So if you're here today and you've not given your life to Christ, listen, you can right where you are, man. God wants to adopt you. So just call out and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and want to be forgiven. I want to be a part of your family. So today I'm turning from my sin and trusting Jesus. Give me a brand new life starting today. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart this morning, then listen, the first step of obedience is baptism. We're going to celebrate baptism in a, another service this morning. So if you need to be baptized, I'll be here in the front, others as well. We want to pray for you. And some of you, you've given your heart to Jesus, but you just haven't been baptized yet. Well, listen, man, that's your opportunity to go public with your faith. So I'm going to encourage you in a moment, we stand to our feet, that you just come forward. We want to pray for you. We want to set up a time for you to be baptized. So when everybody else stands, you stand with them, and then you just walk down the aisle right here to the front. We're not going to embarrass you. We want to help you. Or God may be calling you to join this church body. If that's the case, we'd encourage you to come as well this morning. So, Father, the invitation is yours. We pray that you would work in our midst and continue to use us for your sake and for your kingdom. That's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning if God's calling you.